This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, January 10th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. Federal surveillance of domestic activist groups, journalistic enterprises, and policy groups, and others, it's far from unprecedented. So to what extent is it happening right now? Cato's Patrick Eddington is asking Congress to dig into this potential surveillance. We spoke yesterday. So on the basis of a large and ongoing Freedom of Information Act, project trying to ferret out the scope, essentially, of domestic federal surveillance, uh, not just by the FBI, but by multiple organizations. But the, the current work is heavily focused on the FBI. On the basis of uh, 23 specific responses that I received that are known as these GLOMAR responses, and we can get into what that word GLOMAR stands for, but they are these so-called we will not confirm or deny whether or not we have national security or intelligence-related files uh, on your organization. Based on uh, just a number of those uh, and the fact that they were issued on domestic American groups or domestic American media organizations, we have basically asked Congress to uh, engage in an investigation. And I will, I will say that uh, next week, the week of uh, the 14th of January, 2020, I do expect uh, a number of other groups, including some that uh, I've received these GLOMARs on, but other groups that are equally concerned about the issue, will uh, put out their own request to Congress and seek meetings with relevant staff and so on and so forth to try to get an actual investigation off the off the ground. So based in part on work you've done previously and work that others have done uh, over the years, uh, this kind of surveillance of domestic uh, policy groups or activist groups is by no means unprecedented. There is a 100-year history of this on the part of the uh, Federal Bureau of Investigation, and I think that's that's exactly why uh, I'm so concerned about it. Um, you know, these uh, and and to just kind of go into this whole issue of you know what exactly is a GLOMAR? What does a GLOMAR mean? That's a reference to an episode from the the late 1960s and early 1970s in which um, the Central Intelligence Agency learned that a Soviet nuclear submarine had sunk in the Pacific Ocean and they really wanted to find out whether or not they could, they could put together an expedition to raise and retrieve that sub for intelligence gathering purposes. So they reached out to uh, billionaire Howard Hughes and asked him if he would be willing uh, to have a, a special ship built. This thing was called the Glomar Explorer. Uh, and the cover story for it was that Hughes was engaging in deep sea mining of magnesium nodules, which actually was a legitimate cover story. Uh, that, that is something that, that can be done. Uh, it is difficult to do, but it can also, from what I've been told, be fairly lucrative. At least it, it was back in the day. So that was the initial cover story. And along the way, uh, a journalist at Rolling Stone kind of got wind of what was going on and then put in a Freedom of Information Act request looking for, you know, any documents uh, having to do with this little expedition. And that triggered then CIA Director William Colby to go to every news organization that had contacted the CIA about this and try to get them to kill the story. And uh, the news organizations did not oblige, fortunately. And so that meant that the, the FOIA went forward, and once it got to the court, the agency basically argued, look, we can't confirm or deny 
whether or not a specific intelligence activity or operation is underway because, you know, even if we were to confirm or deny, that might reveal classified information and so on and so forth. And despite the fact that, uh, at least in my opinion, that entire argument is ludicrous, uh, the judge bought it. And it was subsequently upheld on appeal. And so this gives us what's known as the Glomar exception uh, to the Freedom of Information Act. And over the last 45 years, you know, both the CIA, various elements of the Justice Department, Defense Department, uh, and even some other federal agencies have attempted to use this essentially to try to, to, you know, evade essentially talking about whatever it is the person who put in the FOIA is trying to find out about. Now, you'll hear people make the argument, well, they use, you know, we won't confirm or deny language, so there may be nothing going on there. And my point is that that argument is ahistorical, counterfactual, and counterintuitive. Because we know on the basis, not just of the original Glomar Explorer episode, um, but the ACLU's lawsuit against the agency during the Bush administration over the agency's involvement in the so-called drone wars, uh, that Glomars have been um, invoked and have subsequently been revealed to have been concealing actual activity. And that was the case also last year, 2019, with the Reporters Committee for the Free Press and their lawsuit against the FBI uh, with respect to the FBI trying to assert Glomar in order to give them the ability to try to um, masquerade as journalists. Um, and the judge in that particular case, which I believe was Merrick Garland, uh, said, no, everybody knows you do that, FBI. So that Glomar invocation, you know, just cannot stand. So we know on the basis of historical examples that they do this, um, that they use Glomar to conceal real activities. And so the question in this case, with these 23 responses I received, including one on Cato, uh, does it actually indicate that there's something going on there? I believe that there is. But the purpose of the rest of the work that I'm doing is to essentially, no pun intended, confirm or deny that. How does that change the incentives that these agencies face? If, if there is this sort of broad exception, if there are ongoing activities, um, does that encourage agencies to just engage in this type of uh, surveillance on a, on a broader basis than they otherwise would? I, I think that's one of the core concerns that all of us should basically have. Because in, in the normal process of things here, when you're dealing with FOIA, um, you have basically nine different exemption categories. And, you know, exemption one, which known as the B1 exemption, uh, is for national security related stuff. And, and the B3 related exemption relates to other statutes that would be applicable in the given situation. So let's just talk about the, the Glomar I got on Cato. In that particular Glomar, and all of these 23, by the way, were identical. I mean, the, the, the denial language or the not confirm or deny language was identical. In this particular one, it said, you know, we're not going to confirm or deny whether or not we have national security or intelligence files. And the statutes that they cited to were the uh, National Security Act of 1947 and the Central Intelligence Agency Act of 1949. And it was the second one that especially caught my attention uh, and caused me a great deal of anxiety because... The CIA is expressly barred from engaging in uh, any kind of domestic surveillance. So that's another reason why I think it's really important for Congress to engage in this. But I, I think if, if you talk to folks that have been doing FOIAs you know, for a long time, I think many of them would tell you that particularly in a national security context, they have seen an increase in the use of this. Uh, and, and it's essentially, I think, an attempt to try to conceal activity that they simply don't want to talk about. Because in a normal FOIA context, 
um, under you know the, the existing law, uh, they would actually have to cough up documents. Now they could redact those, you know, using you know the the appropriate exemptions that I just described, and then you get into a litigation there potentially if if you want to try to fight that stuff. Or their other option uh, to try to hide something really super secret, like trying to to raise a Soviet uh, submarine, would be to invoke the state secrets privilege. Well, the disadvantage of doing that is that it it draws a giant arrow, right, to the activity and and kind of erases all doubt essentially, you know, that there's a there there. So I I think here what what a Glomar does essentially is assuming a judge is not willing to to examine it closely is it gives an agency or department the ability to kind of shut down any kind of discussion about the topic at all um, in order to allow the activity to go on essentially unmolested. And I think that certainly in a context involving, you know, domestic American advocacy organizations or think tanks or media organizations, we all should be deeply concerned about that. What would be a satisfactory next step for Congress? I know there are several people in the in the House and Senate who would be uh you know, would would chomp at the bit to to hold hearings or uh, some sort of uh, discussion with those agencies. I don't think there's any question that that we need an actual congressional investigation and kind of reexamination, essentially, of of what is going on here. And I'll I'll just kind of link in here uh, the DOJ IG report on the on the Crossfire Hurricane investigation, which of course was the investigation into whether or not the um, the Crossfire Hurricane investigation was the investigation into President uh, uh, Trump's uh, campaign and, and potential Russian um, collusion and so on and so forth. And the IG's investigation of how that investigation was handled revealed uh, to be charitable, ex- extremely sloppy practices on the part of the FBI. Uh, and in one case, an FBI lawyer actually altering a document uh, in order to try to to make it more uh, uh, more likely to get uh, get a FISA warrant approved. So when you see that kind of activity, the scope of that activity um, being revealed, you know that there's a lot more there that needs to be investigated. And certainly these Glomars, along with uh, other information that's been leaked over the course of the last few years, uh, really does give us, I think, very, very good grounds to ask for a very comprehensive examination. And there's not been a comprehensive examination of this, really, in the entire so-called war on terror era. Patrick Eddington is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.